Thank you very much indeed to the band. Um, there were two twins, identical twins in looks, but very, very different in temperament. One was extremely optimistic. He, everything was just on the bright side. His twin was uh, always pessimistic. And the parents thought, why don't we take these young boys to a psychiatrist to see if maybe we could sort of balance them out in some way. So they took him in to the psychiatrist and after a while the psychiatrist said, here's an idea. On their next birthday, what I'd love you to do is put them in separate rooms and for the, for the pessimist, buy the best toys that you can afford and give them all to the pessimist. And then what I want you to do is I want you to give to the optimistic son a big box of manure. So right enough, next birthday comes up, put them in separate rooms, do what the psychiatrist has told them. So they're peeking in through the door at the pessimistic son and they see him with a long face, surrounded with all these wonderful toys and games. And he's saying, oh, I don't like that game. I don't want to play with that toy. That's the wrong color. Just complaining and looking utterly miserable. So they go along the hall and, and they go in and, and, and peek through the door and they can't believe it. There's their other son and he's laughing and he's throwing, he's throwing the manure in the air and, and he's shouting at the top of his voice, you can't fool me with this much manure. There's got to be a pony. <laughs> Over these last number of weeks, we've been looking at the, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the fact that God is creator. He has made everything. And the fact as well that we have been made in his image, uh, wonderfully summed up in those verses from Genesis 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Amazingly, you and I are stewards of everything that God has made. And stewardship means that nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to the one who made it. But we have this immense privilege to, to govern and to rule and to care and to develop everything the Lord has placed under our care. It still belongs to Him, but we get to be stewards. And the response for us in that is one of worship one that we're made in God's image uniquely in all of God's creation. We, we have this spiritual facility which nothing else in creation has to relate to God. We know that the tragedy of the biblical story, the fact that although that facility is there, we, we cut ourselves off from God and Christ has restored the opportunity for that faculty to to be able to relate to God our Father again. We also uniquely represent God on earth, being in His image, the one who's made everything. We get, to, we get to, to represent the one who's made everything. And also we get to reflect just in who we are, 
the, the majesty of God. The human beings have this unique calling, but they also have this unique dignity to reflect something of the majesty of God. So the, the response, the appropriate response to all of that, that God's placed all of this under our care, is worship. It's to say, thank you, God, for who you've made us, for the life you've given us, and for the opportunities you've placed in our hands. Regrettably, we know from the story of the Bible, we know from the story of our own lives, that that's not always the response that we as human beings have. That for this calling, which is both corporate and personal, that we don't always, or sometimes even often, respond with an attitude of gratitude and a life that's, that's full of worship. It was true then, it's also true now. And I think what that means is that there's, a, there's an unspoken question that you and I have to answer every day of our lives, and I believe that it's a question that all of us struggle to answer. We may not articulate to ourselves, but it's certainly one that crosses our mind, I would say, probably hundreds of times every day. And the question sounds something like this. Do I want what I've been given? Or do I want what I don't have? I think all of us struggle with that question. And I, th I think particularly in the Western world, I think we struggle with that question. In the, in the part of the world that materially speaking, all of us are immensely richer than the vast, 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 vast majority of other human beings on this planet, I think we of all people struggle with that question more than anybody. Do I want what I've been given? Or do I want what I don't have? The Bible describes this as coveting. It's having an illegitimate desire for, for whatever reason, is not ours to have. So the world wants to tell us that we deserve everything. Everything should be graspable for us. What the Bible tells us is, certainly the Lord will pour out His abundant blessing on us, but there's things that are for us, and there are things that are for other people. And coveting comes whenever we look across, and rather at looking at all the good things, all the blessings He's placed in our hands, we look across and we say, I want what He has. I want what she has. So that's why the Lord lovingly included that tenth commandment, one that we might say, well, why is this in there with adultery and stealing and murdering and that wonderful commandment, the tenth commandment that says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet, covet his ox or his donkey, you shall not covet his manservant or maidservant, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. The problem with coveting is that it's highly destructive. So coveting of land leads to one nation invading another nation with tens of thousands of people killed. 
the covering of wealth leads to a financial crisis. The covering for stuff, merchandise, has led to consumerism. So covering is, is really destructive. You can see its effects in the world, but it's also very destructive in here. T.S. Eliot, one of the most famous poets of the 20th century, in one of his works said, the desert is not only in remote southern tropics, the desert is not only around the corner, the desert is in the tube train next to you, the desert is in the heart of your brother. The thing about coveting, and, and there's many reasons that lead to emptiness in the human soul, but I think one of the most significant factors in leading to a deep sense of emptiness in human lives is caused by wanting what is not ours to have. It creates a deep emptiness within us. It's obviously exacerbated by a multi-billion pound industry which spends its energies so that every screen that we look at, every, everything that we see, wants us to ask that question, w would I be happier if I, if I had what she had? Would I be more joyful if I had what he had? But you and I are here today because we, we've discovered the truth of the fact that there is an antidote to this desert in the human heart, and it is Jesus Christ. The one who in his life showed us what it looks like to trust in our heavenly Father. Jesus, who said, that is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? There's only one antidote to melt away the fear in the human heart that leads to covetousness, and that is the presence of God our Father through Jesus Christ in our hearts and souls. It comes about by, has come about by Jesus giving his life for us sacrificially. We sang in that song a moment ago, Man of Sorrows, the man who was the most joyful man who ever lived was also the man of sorrows and died on a cross so that we, through his journey from riches to poverty, might become rich. Contentedness is a deeply spiritual matter. There is no way to become content through stuff, power or prestige or wealth, because it's not just about wealth and stuff, it's also about power and prestige. Sometimes our jealousy is not to do with the stuff other people have, it's to do with the, the prestige that they have, the success that they have, the influence that they have. It's very, very subtle. 
but it can, it can lead to a desert in our souls. And to go down that path is a bit like drinking salt water and expecting that it will satisfy our thirst. But if we go down that road, what we discover is that we become dreadfully thirsty, dreadfully sick. But Jesus Christ has shown us what it means to live in an entirely different way and to trust our Heavenly Father and to trust in Him, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul showed us in his letter to the Philippians what it looks like whenever someone follows in the footsteps of Jesus and from his prison cell in Rome, right in the church in Philippi, he said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. I love the, the psalm that Sarah read for Psalm 23. And I wonder if the reason why it's the most popular psalm is because it's a psalm of deep contentedness. What other phrase is there in Scripture that encapsulates contentedness than the first verse of that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Now, that is such a powerful witness. If our lives reflect the truth of that verse, it is such a powerful witness. Feel free to try this on your family and friends when they're talking to you and saying, well, how's it going and how's life? To say to them, I have everything that I need. If that's true for you, then feel free to share it with people because it'll be so countercultural in today's society that it will be an extremely powerful witness in today's world. And if that's not the case for us, then let's pray that that's the case for us because it is a, such a powerful witness. And it also then overflows into generosity because the thing is, it's very difficult for us to be generous with our time and our energy and our money and our gifts if we don't have a sense of, I'm very blessed. If we don't have a sense of, look, Look at what God has given me. I'm not saying for us that we're going to say, yeah, everything's exactly the way I want it to be. We may say, yes, there's still death among our relatives. There's still sickness. There's still things that frustrate us. But if you read about David's life, you'll know that, boy, he did not have it easy. He was betrayed by his family. He was pursued to death. He lived on nothing at times, and yet he wrote the words of that song. And sometimes the reality is that it's in that place when our hands feel entirely empty that actually that's when we discover the sufficiency of God most fully. And you'll, you'll know that 
if you've been in that place where you feel you have nothing, psychologically, emotionally, materially, if you've ever been in the place where you feel you've got nothing, then you discover the sufficiency of God. So there's great contentedness in that, and there's also generosity that flows from that, and, and that's a powerful witness. And what we're talking about today and thinking about this week and over these weeks ahead is really about, I suppose I'd just love each of us to, to ask ourselves a question, and that is, does the way I live my life, does the way I give myself away of my time and my money and my energy and my hospitality, does that reflect my gratitude to Jesus Christ? Because that's what New Testament generosity is all about. The Old Testament says, give a tenth of what you earn. The New Testament does not teach that. I don't believe you can find that in the New Testament. For us, we might think, well, that's a great relief until you realize that the New Testament says to us, let's look to Jesus to see how much we should give. And we discover as we follow Jesus that it's true what he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we have responsibilities to make sure that our family have food, they're cared for, they have a roof over their heads, and that we too with them. There's no point being generous to the extent of putting ourselves in poverty. John Wesley summed up what we should do with our uh, wealth and possessions whenever he said, um, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The credo of the world is, gain all you can, spend all you can. How different the advice of John Wesley, who throughout his life, incrementally as time went on, started off his journey giving away 10% of his income, and by the end of his life, he lived on 10% and gave away 90% of his income. It's no coincidence that he was one of the most powerful men in history. The thing is, generosity releases the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because it's about worship. And if we worship the Lord with our voice and with our love and with our gifts and with our service and with our energy and with our words, then we find in that place it opens up afresh the the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It stirs up afresh the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it brings into a place where we enter into a deeper place of contentedness because we discover that in the sufficiency of God, there is nothing more precious than a relationship with our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. And everything pales into insignificance. The more we have of Him, the less we want of everything else. You see, being generous with our words and our time and our energy and our money helps to break the hold of materialism and consumerism in our lives. And boy, it is a powerful hold. I struggle with this every day. I imagine most of us, if not all of us, struggle with this every day. 
The world is singing a tune and it wants us to dance to it. It's a dance which is all about competition. It's all about comparison. That's the tune of the world. And in following Christ, we're saying, I'm not going to dance to that tune. I'm not going to play that game because I believe it leads to misery. Because it, it's about me judging myself against the yardstick of every single person around me constantly all the time. And boy, it is exhausting. And it leads to misery. And in Christ, he's given us freedom to say, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play the comparison game. Because whether I win and whether I lose in my mind at every moment of comparison, no matter what, both lead to misery. I'm not going to play that game. So my hope and prayer for us over these days and weeks ahead is that freely we will ask that question, Lord, is how I live my life, is, it, is, the, is the generosity of my life, does it say something of the fact that I, I, I owe, owe my whole life to you? And that this is an opportunity to express our love to the Lord. It's also an opportunity for us to to equip his church and to further his kingdom. It's been wonderful in recent years and during the pandemic before and during and now after the pandemic. And isn't it wonderful that I think recently the official word was the pandemic is over. All the way through, we've been seeking to say, what can we do globally and what can we do locally to, to alleviate poverty. And it's been fantastic to see how that's been developing. And also as well, how can we reach families for Christ and children for Christ who are lost? And how can we support marriage? And how can we support family life? How can we invest in this new city to see it flourish? And it's been fantastic to see that just develop over the years. As you know and as you'd expect, we, we want to bless more in this city. And there are some of the areas we really want to focus on in this year ahead. We want to step further into alleviating food poverty because food poverty is skyrocketing in Bangor City. And we want to help put clothes on people's backs and food on their plates. And we also want to step into that place where there are, are families that are lost and there are children that are lost and we want them to come to know Jesus Christ. And we also want to strive to combat the epidemic of loneliness that there is among all generations. So that's what we're about doing. Shall we stand together?